Well, as you can see in those video clips, it didn't take long for fire to uh, get out of control. Everyone in those videos did survive, but they all vastly underestimated the danger of playing with fire. And in this message series that we're wrapping up today, we've been looking at four different areas of our life that have a fire-like or incendiary-type quality to them. And like fire, these are not bad areas of life. Uh, these are areas that provide a lot of benefit and warmth to us, but if they are allowed to get out of control, they can do a lot of damage to us and to those that are close to us. So we began four weeks ago by looking at the incendiary nature of words, then we looked at money. Last week we talked about sex. Today we're going to close by looking at the fire-like qualities of our emotions. If you missed any of these messages, you can uh, catch up and listen to them online. As you know, this past Sunday uh, was the closing ceremony of the Summer Olympics, but sadly, uh, one of the dominant images that continues from the Olympics is this one. This is Ryan Lotke explaining to Matt Lauer that he had over-exaggerated, I think was the phrase. He'd over-exaggerated his account of what happened after a night of partying in Rio. And all, it all started with just a, a simple desire to celebrate. Ryan and three other members of the USA swim team Obviously, they had been training very hard leading up to the Olympics, uh, and part of that training was they hadn't been able to drink, they said, for months. And so when the swimming program was over, they were looking to go have some fun. But on the way back from the party they were at, the happiness that they were experiencing turned into anger when a gas station bathroom was locked. That led to vandalism and a confrontation with some armed security guards. Then the fear of getting in trouble for what they'd done led to a fabricated story about being robbed. Now, Ryan Lotke has lost all of his lucrative uh, sponsorships and probably his future in USA Swimming. How could this happen so quickly in just a matter of hours? Well, it all started with an emotion. It's actually a good emotion, emotion of happiness and excitement about being done after a lot of training, a lot of work. But then the happiness emotion was taken over by anger and then that led to another motion, fear. And then one day, Ryan Lotke burned, pretty much burned to the ground his reputation. Now, we may shake our heads at Ryan, but we've all allowed our emotions to get out of control, and we've done a lot of damage, maybe even this past week. We just didn't do it at the Olympics, and we didn't have to be interviewed by Matt Lauer about what we had done. That's really the major difference. Now, the Bible gives quite a few examples of some pretty high-profile emotional firestorms. One example is of uh, King Xerxes, the leader of the Persian Empire, ancient Persian Empire. He, he didn't just party one night. He partied 180 days, we read. And then he made an emotional demand on his wife, the queen, and was upset when she said no. And so we read this in Esther chapter 1, verse 12. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. You can continue to read in the book of Esther, and you just make a list of all the damage that resulted from that emotional outburst, that firestorm. Balak was a, another king. He was the king of Moab, and he, his emotional trip started with fear. He was afraid of, of his enemies, and uh, then he got angry when his big plan for dealing with his enemies fell apart. And we read this in Numbers 24, verse 10. It says, then Balak's anger burned against Balaam, who was the person to enact this plan. He struck his hands together and said to him, I summoned you to curse my enemies, and you have blessed them these three times. If you read on for the next few chapters in Numbers, you will discover that 
Balak's fear that turned into anger ended up pretty much burning his entire nation to the ground. The nation was destroyed in this firestorm. So if emotions can and often do cause so much damage, why, why did God give us these emotions? Well, like fire, there, there is a tremendous upside to our emotions. Without fire and without emotion, our lives would be pretty cold. Without fire, they'd be cold on the outside. Without emotions, they'd be pretty cold and drab on the inside. The burn that can destroy also can bring a tremendous amount of warmth and passion to our lives. After the resurrection of Jesus, we read in Luke about two men who find themselves walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They don't know that they're walking with Jesus. They're talking about the recent crucifixion. They don't know that he's risen from the dead yet. And so Jesus proceeds to go through Scripture and and talk about how he is, in fact, the fulfillment of all the prophecies, and he is the promised Messiah. They don't realize that this is Jesus they've been talking to until they part ways. And once they realize it, here's what they say about that experience in Luke 24, verse 32. They said they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is a good kind of burn. They, they, they felt tremendous passion on the inside as, as their eyes became open to the truth of what God had done and what he had said. I mean, it would be a very dull experience to be unable to feel any real passion in life. And to feel passion, we need our emotions. This summer, my wife and I got to spend some time at a house on a lake. And one morning, I woke up to see this sunrise. This is the dock of the house that we were staying at. And I went out on that dock, and I sat on that dock watching the sunrise for the better part of an hour, just basking in the beauty of that sunrise. And it was my capacity to feel emotions that really allowed me to fully enjoy that experience. It wasn't just my eyes' ability to see colors or my ears' ability to, to hear the sounds of that morning. It, it was, I felt the presence of God in that moment. Without emotion, I wouldn't have been able to experience that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29, we read this, Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? This is another type of emotional burn that's a good one, actually. Paul is burning on the inside because he really cares about these individuals. This was written by the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about some individuals who are getting caught in some areas of sin, and and they're getting ready to do a lot of damage to their life. And because he has a relational attachment to them, he can't just watch them march off into destruction and say, oh, well, that's just what people do sometimes. No, he... He really cared. And so he was burning up. He was kind of torn up on the inside because he really cared about these people. And that's a good thing. Our lives would be much less complicated without our emotions. But without them, we would miss a great deal of life. We wouldn't really be able to enjoy the beauty of of God's creation. We wouldn't experience the power of truth as it changes us. We would miss out on the thrill of pursuing a dream. We couldn't form any real deep connections with other people or with God. So like the other three incendiary parts of our life that we've been talking about in this series, the question with this one is the same. How do we properly manage and contain this important fire? Well, I want to share with you two emotional truths, two truths about our emotions that are critical if we're going to manage our emotions properly. 
And then an implication for each one of these two truths. Truth number one is this. Emotions are information. Emotions are information. They carry important information to us. In Psalm 42, verse 5, we read this, written by the psalmist. He says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Now, he doesn't say, stop being downcast, stop feeling bad. He asks, why? When you ask why, it points to the fact that there must be a cause. There must be a reason that's driving this emotion. See, we tend to treat our emotions kind of like the weather. Both just kind of come and go, and there's just really not much we can do about it. You know, when a a storm comes through, we, well, you just kind of weather it and go on as best you can, and you wait for the clouds to part and the sun to come through again. And we tend to do that emotionally. You know, when we experience a negative or dark emotion, the clouds, you know, come into our emotions, we're just, well, you know, it's just the way I feel. I just kind of got to go through this, and hopefully, you know, sometime in the next few days, the Clouds will part, and the emotional sun will shine again, and I can, I can be happy again. And then another storm comes through, and we just weather that. Now, the problem is we just don't ask why, because we don't think there's anything we can do about it. But this verse tells us to ask why, because there is something we can do about it. There is a cause that we can address. Now, of course, it's never... Why are you so happy, O oh my soul? Right? It's why are you so downcast? I mean, no one ever says, you know, I feel so great. Why? Why? Why am I feeling so great? No, we just enjoy those moments. It's when we're feeling bad that we ask why. It's kind of like our bodies. We don't go to the doctor when we're feeling great and ask why. It's when we feel pain. Emotional pain tells us, like physical pain, it tells us something's wrong. Something's off. There's a problem on the inside. That's the important information that our our emotions tell us. Just like our bodies, if the nerves are running correctly, they, they inform us there's something wrong inside. You feel pain because something's off. Same thing true with our emotions. If you feel emotional pain, it's because something's something's wrong. What is it that's off when our emotions go dark? Well, what emotions point to is our thinking. That's the implication of this truth. Emotions reveal our thoughts. They point to problems in our thinking. When we feel bad emotionally, it's because something is off in our thinking. That's why the next verse in Psalm 42 says this, my soul is downcast within me. So he's just stating the fact. He's not saying I shouldn't feel this. He's saying I feel feel bad. But then he goes on to say, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. I will remember. What he's saying is, I feel bad. So what I'm going to do about this, the, the answer to this emotional struggle is, I've got I've to address my thinking. I've got to remember some things about God that I've, I, I've forgotten to think about. I'm, I've, I'm not thinking about some important truths about you, God. And I, I, need, to, I need to bring those back to my mind. What he's admitting is, I'm no longer thinking true thoughts about what's happening around me and in my life. That's why my soul is sad. Not the circumstances, it's my thoughts about the circumstances. You see, every emotion 
is preceded by a thought. You may not be aware of what that thought is, but you have a thought that's driving, a set of thoughts that's driving your emotions. For example, if I want to feel happy, all I have to do is think about my two granddaughters. And my mood immediately picks up. I mean, I can just pull out a picture of them, or I can just bring to my mind the memory of a recent FaceTime conversation. And I, my mood just immediately starts picking up because I'm thinking thoughts that drive emotional happiness. But the same thing is true on the other side. If you want to feel bad, and I wouldn't recommend you do this, but if you want to feel bad, all you have to do is start thinking about some recent conflict or somebody that you're upset with or someone that is upset with you or a problem. And, and if you just let that ruminate in your mind, in no time, you're going to feel awful. Your, your thoughts are driving. They, they drive your emotions. We, we can't control our emotions directly. We can't just say, feel happy, and we'll feel happy. Or stop feeling sad, and we'll stop feeling sad. Emotions can't be controlled directly. They are managed indirectly through our thoughts. We have to change what we're thinking. And then that, in time, changes what we're feeling. You see, we tend to think that it's our circumstances that drive our emotions. That's what it feels like to us. You know, we're, we're going along just fine, and then someone says something to us, and we feel an emotion. Or life is going great, and then a problem erupts, and there's a big, you know, a challenge, and we, we, you know, then our emotions feel bad about that. And so it seems to us that It is the circumstances that's driving our emotions. But the truth is, it is our thoughts about our circumstances that drive our emotions. Yes, our circumstances are challenging. And if something bad happens in your life, you probably are going to feel bad. But you can begin to change your feelings by the way you're thinking about your circumstances. This is why two people can experience the exact same thing and yet feel very different emotions about it. Two people can grow up in equally difficult situations in the very same home. And one person will think and process that in a pretty negative way, and the other person will think and process it in a correct way, and their lives will take very different trajectories. Same circumstance, same home, same experience, but they thought differently about it. And that produced different emotions and a different course of life. You know, I've read of people who have actually experienced peace, God's peace, in a concentration camp. I mean, that's, you may have had a bad week, but nobody was in a concentration camp. I mean, that's got to be one of the worst experiences that anyone, one worst circumstance anyone could endure. But you see, It wasn't the circumstance that drove their emotions. It was how they thought about that circumstance that really drove their emotions. We have the power to change our emotions. We think that it's this person that's making me mad. We actually say that you're making me mad or you're making me sad. No, the truth is you are choosing by what you're thinking. I mean, you're not choosing it directly, but by what you're thinking, you're choosing to get mad. You're choosing to to be sad. That's on you. That's not on the circumstances. That's not on the person. That that is you. You're choosing to process this in a way. Now, the problem for us is that we tend to live pretty much unexamined thought lives. You know, we have these thoughts, but we don't don't even think about them. We, We don't know 
what they are. And life happens so fast, especially in this culture, that we just kind of react to stuff. It's, for us, it pretty much is circumstances, emotion, circumstances, emotion, circumstances, emotion. And we don't ever think about, what, what's going on here? What am I thinking about this? And so we're just along for the emotional roller coaster ride of life. And the emotions are like weather. It just kind of moves through our life based on the circumstances. This is why in verse 6 here of Psalm 42, it says, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. What's he, what's he talking about? What he's saying is, I've been, my thinking has been all off. That's why my soul is downcast. And I need to remember some truth about God. And I don't just need to remember that once. You can't just have one thought and then all of a sudden your emotions shift. Now that you need to keep thinking these true thoughts. And so what he, these are different locations in Israel. And so he's saying, whether I'm here or whether I'm there or wherever I'm at, I, I, I need to keep these thoughts going. I need to keep working on my thought life. I, it's not just a switch to flip and all of a sudden I'm happy. It, it's an ongoing effort. This past Monday I was driving on the 405 and I was a little late for my next appointment and I heard a loud beep go off in my car and then I looked down to see the tire pressure indicator light go on and I thought, I didn't say this out loud, but inside I thought, no, I, I don't have time. I mean, I was cutting it close as it was, but then I thought, you know, that's, that's important information right there. I mean, I, I don't want, you know, how fast I was going. I'm not going to tell you how fast, but how fast I was going. It's like, I, I don't want to. I don't want to have a tire problem and potentially lose control. So I, so I took the next exit and pulled into the parking lot and examined the tires. And one of them was a little low, but not dangerously low. So I was able to, you know, move on to my meeting. But you see, that warning light was important information for me as a, as a driver. And that's really what our emotions are. It's important information. And when we feel bad, it does no good to just try to stop feeling that way. That doesn't work any better than telling the light on your dash to go away. You know, when I, when I you know, thought no to the light on my dash, it didn't say, oh, uh, is this an inconvenient time for you? Because I, you know, I can wait until you're pulling into the garage at home and, and you've got a whole evening to address these things, and then I can go off then if you would like. No, it, it, when there's a problem, the light goes on. Same thing is true with our emotions. When, when our thinking is off, our emotions don't say, let, let me just wait for, for you to have a, you know, space and time where you can fully process this. Now it's beep in the middle of a conversation or in the middle of a circumstance. It's up to us to, to take the action to think about it. So when you feel bad, take the time and ask why. Now you may not be able to take the time right then. I'm not saying you're in an important meeting and all of a sudden you say, oh, emotional time out, I'm feeling something. Uh, give me 10 minutes and I'll be right back and we'll continue our meetings. Like, you can't do that. Life just happens. And, but later in the day, maybe that would be a good time for you to sit down and say, okay, what, now what was going on there? Just kind of think through your day and the emotions of it and, and try to identify what are the thoughts that are driving these emotions. Now, I'll just tell you, you won't be able to figure it all out just by thinking for 10 or 15 minutes. But just the act of pausing to think about what you are thinking about is going to begin to free you from being a victim to your emotions. Because when you stop and say, what, what's going on? What am I thinking about? That act alone informs you that 
Your life is not just circumstance emotion, circumstance emotion. It's circumstance thought emotion. Because you're saying, what's going on in the middle here? You're, you're recognizing a category most people don't even recognize. And you're realizing, I, I, I've got some thinking to address. And it'll begin to free you from just being a victim to your emotions. So that's truth number one. Emotions are information. Truth number two is this. Emotions do not know time. They don't know time. In the book of Genesis, we read the story of Joseph, one of the great stories in the Bible. And Joseph's story starts early on when his brothers decide to sell him into slavery. I mean, can you imagine the horror and rejection of that? And then for the better part of 15 years, maybe a little more than 15 years, Joseph doesn't see his brothers. They don't see each other. And then God orchestrates the circumstances together where all of a sudden Joseph is number two in Egypt, in, in power, and his brothers are brought before him because they're in need of food. So they, the last time Joseph saw his brothers, they were selling him into slavery. Now it's 15 years ago. Here's what happened when Joseph saw his brothers. This is Genesis 45, verse 2. And he, Joseph, wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. I mean, Joseph didn't just tear up. This was, this was a, from the depths of who he is, a, 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 a cry. So loud, so intense, that everyone around heard about it, and it was so huge, such an outburst, that even Pharaoh and all of Pharaoh's household was like, what's wrong with Joseph? I mean, that was deep, deep emotions. Why, why such strong emotion? Well, we know why. Joseph wasn't just feeling that moment. He was feeling history. You know, it had been 15 years since his brothers had sold him into slavery. But for all of them, you read about his brother's emotion, you'll discover for all of them, it, it, it might as well have been yesterday. That's because emotions don't know time. When we feel emotional pain, it doesn't have a timestamp to it. It isn't recorded and then forgotten over time. It's not put in a time capsule to be dug up sometime later and gone, huh, well, that was an interesting memory. No, our, our emotions are cumulative. The painful ones are cumulative. For example, if you are rejected this week by someone, if that's been something that you've experienced quite a bit over the course of your life, well, then that experience of rejection this week is going to be added on top of all the other big moments of rejection in your life. And what you are going to feel is much stronger and much deeper than if this was just an isolated incident. You see, emotional pain is it's like a bruise. You know, if you have a bruise, like if I had a bruise on my arm, I don't, but if I had a bruise on my arm, what would that let you know? Well, it's, I, I, this is a previous injury. You know, I bashed up against something. Somehow I you know, caused a contusion, and, and there's a bruise. That bruise points to the fact that there's a history of pain there. And so what happens when you have a bruise and someone bumps into it? It hurts a whole lot more, doesn't it? You know, if someone just brushes up against a bruise, ow! Your reaction is disproportionate to the bump. You know, if you just, someone bumped up and you didn't have any injury, any bruise there, it'd be like, oh, excuse me. 
There would be no, ow, kind of reaction. But because you have a history of pain in that area, you feel that bump deeply. And this is what tends to happen in a lot of conflicts. You know, someone just bumps up against us. They're not necessarily intending to do anything, but they don't know. They just bumped up against a history, something that we've experienced deeply. This is what happens a lot in marriage. It's just, it's two people who live in a fallen world and have bruises. They get married and they're in close proximity and they just keep bumping into each other going, ow, ow. And the other thinks, what? You know, they almost look at him like, what is going on? I mean, your emotion is so much stronger than, we're just talking about this. No, you're not just talking about this. Because emotion doesn't know time. Emotion doesn't say, yeah, that was 20 years ago, so it's kind of forgotten. Like, Oh, no. That and that and that and that and this are all being felt right now. It's all being felt together. Now, since we don't just feel, we think first and then we feel, there is not only an emotional history for us, there is a thought history behind our emotional history. What I mean by that is as you have processed whatever pain you've experienced in your life, you've come to some pretty clear conclusions about you, about your life, about other people, about God. And if your conclusions are false, your bruises will not be healed. Truth is the only thing that can heal a bruise. And the bruises will just keep growing. So this is the implication of this truth. Because emotions don't know time, strong emotions reveal thought patterns. And these patterns are what's behind every conflict. Whether it's war between nations, global conflict, or whether it's marital conflict, or whether it's work conflict, whatever kind of conflict it is. Here's what it says about this in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish strongholds and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What is this saying? Well, first of all, it's, it's saying in part that the, the problems of this world are primarily thought problems. People having wrong ideas, take root in their minds. And these thought problems originate as thoughts, and then they're reinforced by emotions. For example, World War II started as a thought in the mind of a young man named Adolf Hitler. That's where it started. Then that thought and all the emotions attached to it, there's a lot of emotions attached to it, that thought and all the emotions captured more and more minds And before it was all over, 60 million people had died. Because of that thought. Now, it's the ideas of groups like ISIS that are killing so many people. And clearly, the weapons of this world are needed to fight these ideas. I mean, to stop Hitler, you really did need tanks and bombs and guns and bullets. Just like you do now to... Stop ISIS and other groups. 
But God has deployed, this is what it's saying in this verse, God has deployed an even more powerful weapon that gets at the source of the problem. Not the symptoms, the source. That gets at the thought. And the weapon that God has deployed is the truth. See, in the pages of the Bible, God tells us very clearly how to think about all kinds of areas of life and very clearly about how not to think. Now, this weapon is most effective when we turn it on ourselves. You know, you don't want to use this weapon as a thought laser to try to blast wrong thoughts out of people's minds. No, you can't do that. It's most effective when it's used against yourself. Two, as this verse says, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I remember when I first read that, I thought, well, that's just straight impossible. I mean, how could you possibly capture every single thought running through your mind? I mean... Researchers estimate that we think between 50 and 70,000 thoughts a day. How do you capture that many thoughts? And while we're thinking about it, how do you capture one thought? And even if you could capture a thought, what do you do with it once it's been captured? Where's the thought jail that you send these thoughts to? I mean, for example, you know, probably about now, and I don't hope that, this, that you won't leave me mentally when I say this, you're probably going to think about lunch here in just a little bit. So should you capture those thoughts? And what should you do with those thoughts? That's not the kind of thoughts this is talking about. The kind of thoughts these verses are talking about are mental strongholds. That's the term that's used here. It's a stronghold. A a pattern, a structure of thought. Now a stronghold in ancient times was a fortified structure in the center of a city. And our minds have fortified thought structures at the very center of who who we are. In other words, at the very core of who we are and the way we think, we have patterns, ways of thinking about us, of thinking about others, of thinking about how life works, of thinking about God. And we don't just select these thought structures, these strongholds from a list of possible ways to look at life. No, these are formed kind of over time organically as we experience life and we think about life and we come to conclusions, experience by experience, thought by thought. And these strongholds have two parts to them. The first part is the arguments. These are kind of like the stones or the bricks that make up the stronghold. These are the individual thoughts, the arguments that support our conclusions. Now, we don't necessarily know what they are, but we've formed these over time. Here's, here's how you respond to this pain, and here's how you respond to that challenge, and here's how you avoid this in the future. And we learn it from people around us, and we come to our conclusions, and we, we have clear thoughts and arguments that support our strongholds, our thought patterns. That's the first part of every stronghold. The second part of every stronghold is pretension. That's the mortar. That's what gives the the stones or the bricks that the individual thoughts, their real strength and holds and makes it a stronghold. What's pretension? Well, when someone's pretentious, basically they're just, they arrogantly think they're smarter and better than other people. And this is the way we think, not about everything, but about our view on life. We, we just arrogantly assume that what we think is true. That's, that's just our baseline assumption. You know, what we think is true. That's why this is a stronghold. Because no one can question it. 
We don't even question it. We don't ever go around saying, I don't know if I'm really thinking correctly about life. We just process life and we've come to these conclusions and this is just the way it is. It's, it's a pretension. But that's the tremendous blessing of our emotions. If something is wrong, our emotions will tell us. They'll tell us that something is wrong. You see, pain is the one thing that's more powerful in life than pride. Now, depending on how full of pride you are, you may need a lot of pain, but eventually pain cuts through pride. And when we feel bad enough for long enough, we'll start to question ourselves. We might even be open for input from God's Word. I mean, that would be amazing. That's very rare. But you feel bad enough, you'll start asking some questions about yourself. So how do you demolish a stronghold? Well, two parts. First of all, you have to take captive every thought. Again, not every single thought in your life, but every thought that supports that stronghold. You have to identify the phrases, the thoughts behind that view of life. And then secondly, you need to make those thoughts obey Christ. That's how you capture them. What that means very, very simply is in the moment, you replace, you identify those false thoughts and you replace those false thoughts that you are thinking with true thoughts. I know what you're probably thinking now. That sounds like a lot of work. It is. The question is how bad do you want to feel? But let me tell you something encouraging. It's not as much work as it seems. You know why? We don't have 100 strongholds. We don't even have 50 strongholds. I don't know how many you have, but my, I've been working on this for a while. I think I've got three, maybe four strongholds. I mean, a lot of thoughts, but three or four key kind of areas that ideas that I've formed over the course of my life that are just not in line with what God says is true. You probably have a similar number. I mean, the number of strongholds are just usually not that great. It's just a few. And every stronghold doesn't have a hundred thoughts. Well, you may have a hundred thoughts around it, but there's really, again, just a handful of, of key ideas that support this stronghold. So what I would recommend is start with the emotion that's bothering you and ask, what am I thinking? What are the thoughts that go through my mind when I feel this? And then work on discovering what God says in contrast to what you say about yourself or to yourself in that moment. Now, if you don't know the Bible, well, it's going to be more challenging for you. This is why you, you need to start reading it, start learning it. Maybe you can ask someone that's a little further ahead and say, hey, here's something I'm thinking. Does the Bible have something to say about that area? And try to figure out what the truth is on this. What God says is really the way things are. You see, our mind is kind of organized the same way we organize our favorite music and listen to it. When I was in high school, you know, you'd record, this was in the 70s, so you'd record your favorite songs onto a cassette tape. And then you'd listen to the same songs over and over and over and over again. And so these were called, you know, mixtapes, your favorite mixtapes. And usually you had a handful of mixtapes. You know, you had your your breakup mixtape, you know, where if you just wanted to feel really bad, you know, because you've just broken up with someone and you want to drive around and cry, then you'd put the mixtape in of, of the breakup mixtape. Or you'd have a, you know, a party mixtape or a drive around with friends mixtape. You didn't have a bunch because there's a lot of work to make these tapes. 
but, but you had a few. And so you just listened to it. And that's, a stronghold is, is kind of like a mixtape. I mean, now you don't have tapes. You have, you know, playlists on your phone, but it's the same idea. And a stronghold is like that mixtape. It's a few phrases that you repeat to yourself over and over and over and over again. It's the beat of your life, and you may not even know you're dancing to it. So let me just tell you personally one of my mixtapes. This is one of my strongholds. One of my mixtapes, is if I were to identify to put a label on it, it would, it would be this. You're not good enough. You're just not good enough. Not. I'm not going to tell you all the why I compiled this one or why. or what. I, can, I started compiling this one in the 70s when I was in high school because some things happened in the way I processed them. Wrongly, but I processed them and thought about it. And now if something doesn't work out or if I fail or in some way or something you know, goes south, I pull this tape out and just start listening to it in my mind. Now, I don't even, most times I don't even know that I've done that. All I know is that I'm just feeling worse and worse and worse. But if, I, if I'll just stop and think, what am I thinking? I'll recognize some of my favorite I'm not good enough tunes. Some of my phrases and thoughts. So now I've, I've remastered this tape. I've, I've got a remix of that tape. And I would call it, you're not good enough, but God is. That's my re- remix. And again, it's not complicated. It's only got four tracks. There's, there's four thoughts. And there's some verses attached to it, but four key thoughts. And I can pull those up, and I can, I can say them, and it just shuts down the old tape. And it begins to change my mood and my emotions. Verses and thoughts that counter my wrong thinking. You see, because often, I just find myself going along, and I'm, you know, I'm grooving to the top hits of the 70s. You know, my old tape. And I won't even know it. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says this, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. What it's talking about is what's going on inside, what you're thinking. That's not immediately apparent. It's kind of like looking in the deep end of a pool that's murky or looking into a lake. You know, depending on how murky it is, you, you might just see a few inches down. There's all kinds of stuff down there that you, you can't even see. You don't know what's down there. In order to see what's going on, you, well, you have to investigate. You have to kind of dive in. And that's the way our hearts are. Most people just live on the surface. They just kind of float along with the emotions. They feel bad, and then they feel good, and then they feel bad, and then they feel good. And they're just emotional boats floating on the sea of circumstances. But if you, if you want to figure out the thoughts that are driving those emotions and begin to take control of your emotion, you're going to have to jump in. Now, you can't spend your life diving. You do have to work, and you have to deal with stuff. But carve out some time to begin to get some insight into these things. Now, honestly, we've been in the deep end of the pool today. And I know you're thinking, now how far away is lunch? This is, this is a lot of thought work. I mean, this is hard work. But again, the question is, well, how bad do you want to feel? How long do you want to feel bad? Now, if your life is nothing but a bowl of happiness, then don't concern yourself with any of this. You know, just continue on. Enjoy the season. Your time will come, but just enjoy this. You know, there's no reason to go diving if there's nothing wrong. Just, just float along. But if emotional alligators keep crawling out of the pool of your emotions, 
and biting you and doing damage to you and those close to you, it just might be time to drain the pool and take a look at what's going on in the deep end. Where are they coming from? God gave us emotions as a gift. But we can, we can twist things around to the point where they're a burden. We've got to grab a hold of our thinking to begin to change our emotions. So I've got some next steps for you to consider uh, today. The first one is join a growth group. We're talking about joining growth groups. But the reason this connects with this is because what happens in growth groups is we take the key ideas that we talk about here on Sunday morning, which are potential remix ideas, potential new material for new tapes. And on growth groups, we, we sit down for about an hour and a half and we just talk about some of these ideas and how, how people are applying them. and what, we, we go a little deeper and trying to figure out what, what they mean. And you're, you're going to come across some key ideas that might really help you change your thinking, which will begin to change your emotions. And there's, there's two uh, growth groups that we've got this fall that, that are designed to help people who are in a particular emotionally charged time of life. One is divorce care and the other is grief share. Divorce care, obviously, is for those who are going through divorce. So if you're in the middle of a divorce or you're on the other side and you're still struggling with recovering from divorce, or grief share, if you've gone through a loss of someone that you love dearly, these groups are designed to help you begin a process. You're not going to feel better tomorrow. These are deep emotional challenges. And if you're in that situation, your life is, is just a hurricane of all kinds of emotions. So I would encourage you to, to sign up and be a part of one of these groups to get the support and help you need to begin to process some of these powerful emotions. Or if you know someone that's in these situations, tell them about these groups. They can sign up to these groups online. You don't have to be a part of Seabreeze to, to be a part of these groups. So that I would encourage you to do that. The second next step is to join us in the two-week devotion that we're going to do as a church starting tomorrow. Uh, this is a devotion, two weeks, just a little reading from God's Word. Again, if you're new to the Bible, this would be a great thing. Even if you've been reading for a long time, this is a great thing to do. Just, we're going to send you a link. If you check this box in the upper left-hand corner, uh, saying I want to do the devotion, then we will send you the link tomorrow. If we have your name and email, we'll send you the link tomorrow, and you can begin to follow along just for the next two weeks as we read through these parts of God's Word together as a church. So I would encourage you to do that. And then lastly, I encourage you to identify your emotions and your thoughts. And what I mean by this is just get in the practice of pausing, maybe a few times during the day. If you don't do that, maybe at the end of the day. And just, just take 10 or 15 minutes and try to write down some of the emotions that you felt during the day. Just think through your day and say, what was I feeling? And go a little bit deeper than, well, I felt bad. Like, well, no, what specifically did you feel? And then try to identify what are some of the thoughts that you were thinking at that time. And just start making a list of these things. It's a great way to start just the process of getting some insight into what's kind of going on below the surface in your heart. So I'd encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the gift of our emotions. We thank you for the warmth that they bring to life, how we can experience each other and you in depth and richness because of them. But we admit that because of our own sin and the fall in this world that our emotions are so easily twisted. And they, they cause tremendous pain as we think wrong thoughts and they cause pain to other people as we allow our emotions to spill out all over people. Father, we just we ask for help. We pray that you would help us 
as we think about our, our thought life, that you'd help us to clearly identify what it is we're thinking and then help us to discover what the truth is about that. God, I pray that you would, in this room, that you would help many people begin to build patterns of examining their thought life and then to begin to change what they're thinking. We don't want to just go along for the emotional roller coaster ride. You've given us the power to choose our emotions, so I pray you'd help us to do that. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.